0: Yeah, man, what a joy it is to be here uh, as we continue in the Advent season. I did want to engage the kids in the room just at the beginning, uh, and then you'll have to be quiet the rest of the time. Uh, But I did just think of y'all a a little bit. I love, as I was talking about last week, I love, uh, you know, this season. I love getting gifts. I love receiving gifts. uh, I love all of that. So I was actually just curious if a kid would be so bold, just something they're looking forward to getting this Christmas season. You can raise your hand, you can blurt it out, whatever you want to do. Just a gift you're hopeful to get. I'm going to wait it out. Yes, go ahead, Molly. Appreciate you. A frog? A dog. <laughs> a dog makes so much more sense. Yes, that would be, that would be awesome. Uh, so that's, did you ask for a dog for Christmas? No, but you're just longing and hoping and wishing. Yeah, I get it. Yes. Yeah. A bunny. Okay, we're on the animal train. Perfect. Yes. A tractor? A monster truck. I would love a monster truck too. Yes. Scooter. Oh, a what? A soccer ball. Man, all right. Set your sights high for the soccer ball. I loved it. My little girl, she wants a scooter too, so I can answer for her. Um, Yeah, scooters, soccer balls, dogs, bunnies. uh, Those are exciting. So now, just one more. So we loved, oh, go ahead. A dog. So now everybody wants a dog. And so uh, my kids have wanted a dog. We had a dog. They didn't want the dog we had. And now they want a dog that we don't have anymore. But that's a long story. That's not what we're here to talk about. Um, kids, I am also curious, just if anybody, so love to give gifts, love to get gifts. Uh, what, do you have any thoughts about this Christmas season and why we give and receive gifts? Or in a sense, just what Christmas is all about. So any kid. Yes. About Jesus. Yes. Yes. Every parent got nervous as their kid raised their hand. Like, what are they gonna just? Please say Jesus. Yes, yes. Where do you go? Uh, Christmas is about Jesus. Yes, about celebrating Jesus's birth. All the more specific. Good job. Yes, that is what this season is about. And so, as we continue in at the Advent season, we are continuing through the book of Nehemiah. And so, if you remember last week, I said a handful of things that we. Kind of see at the end of these last uh, handful of chapters, chapter seven through uh, thirteen, and we see if you remember the story, we've been in and out of it a bit, but it's a like many stories in uh, the scriptures, it is just full of like ups and downs and twists and turns of uh, desires met of uh, really disappointment um, and longing. We see we see all of these things in the midst of this story, but we said we see these uh, exiles do four things at the end of this narrative uh, that, they, uh, that they do in order to draw near uh, to God. And we see, it said that we see them giving towards God's mission, that we see a, an incredible amount of financial generosity towards God's mission. And we talked about that last week. And then we'll, we'll see uh, this week, really the next three, which is that we see them hear God's word uh, read and preach. We actually see the first expositional sermon, which if you don't know what an expositional sermon is, you can actually go watch Joe Rogan's podcast where he interviews Kanye West, which is, I mean, this is a true story. Uh, Kanye West explains expositional preaching to Joe Rogan, and he doesn't do a horrible job of it. I've actually never listened to the podcast. I just heard that little clip, so there's probably all kinds of inappropriate things, so forgive me for recommending that to some degree, but it's true. So we see uh, they have that conversation, but in the, all of the Bible, in, in our little Uh, passage, we see the first expositional sermon where the scriptures are read and uh, explained. And we see that happen throughout our time. And then we'll see how uh, these exiles, God's people, actually respond to God's word uh, through celebrating God's provision and his kindness and his graciousness and actually repenting of their sin and pursuing holiness. So again, as we look at uh, Ezra, or not Ezra, I'm going to do that a lot because Ezra's in Nehemiah now, so it just gets really blurry. But in Nehemiah 8 and 9, uh, we will see all these last three uh, things. And they all flow from, again, a hearing and responding uh, to God's word. But I want to set a little picture uh, before you. I was actually just reading this book this week. Uh, I got this book in the mail to uh, give to somebody else uh, to read. And so I just read through it really quickly. And I just stumbled upon this great quote. Uh, it's from a, a book by David Helm called One-to-One Bible Reading. And in that, he quotes another author, but it says this. Just get this kind of picture in your mind. Imagine if all Christians, as a normal part of their discipleship, were caught up in a web of regular Bible reading, not only digging into the word privately, but reading it with their children before bed, with their spouses over breakfast, with a non-Christian colleague at work once a week over lunch, with a new Christian for follow-up once every two weeks for mutual encouragement, and with a mature Christian friend once a month for mutual encouragement. It would be a chaotic web of personal relationships, prayer, and Bible reading. More of a movement than a program. But at another level, it would be profoundly simple and within reach of all. It's an exciting thought. And I just love thinking about that. I love thinking about just the uh, organic reality of God's people desiring and hungering for his word and uh, responding uh, to that desire, really in these two chapters in Nehemiah, we get a little bit of a taste of what revival could look like. Um, we get a little bit of a taste. I think, to be honest with you, when Ezra and Nehemiah are preached as uh, kind of just what revival looks like, I think it's a little oversold because I think there's a lot that's still lacking in Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, but I do think we get taste of it all along the way, and we see some of that uh, here in chapters 8 and 9. And it comes from the people of God returning to the word of God and the God of the word. It's not just exalting the Bible as words, but it's realizing that the Bible came from this God. And so they go to the Bible to seek and know and understand uh, this God. Um, and so if we desire to see anything like revival, we must return to God's word. And, and when I say revival, I don't mean like maybe you're like me and you grew up in a on occasion in a fundamental Baptist church and revival meant you went to church every night of the week and there seemed to be a few more people there and you're not really sure what it was going on, but you were just at church more and it was revival. It just, you scheduled revival on the calendar and then you went and then it happened and then it was over and then kind of went back to the non-revival season. Um, or a revival may look like every Sunday for you, if that's what uh, kind of uh, church background uh, you you mean. Or I think even now, man, just with the craziness of our culture, like I definitely don't mean revival. So, so many people are, are even, marrying revival with American politics. Um, And and I definitely do not mean that. I mean the Spirit of God meeting his people in a way that turns our heart and our affections back to God in a profound way. Um, And and that's what we see here uh, in Nehemiah. So we'll, we'll read the first three verses and then we'll cover a good bit of ground so you can turn to Nehemiah 8 if you're not already there. Uh, And then I'm going to read Nehemiah 8, just verses 1 through 3 for us. And so if you'll stand, uh, if you're able, in honor of reading God's word. Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. So here's, here's a few things we're gonna see and learn from this passage today. We're gonna see quite simply that these are what God's people should do, that God's people should desire the word, that we should hear the word, and that we should respond to the word. So just those three simple points that we'll see here in Nehemiah. So here is in the beginning of this moment, we see one of the keys of uh, this little taste of revival. And that's just that God's people desired God's word. God God could start revival in any such way. He could use a man. He could use a woman. He could use a child. He could inflame the hearts of everybody in a given moment. He can do it in all kinds of of different ways. But regardless of how it starts, regardless of how revival would start and be fanned into flame, one thing that would be clear that it is happening is that God's people, the church, would desire to hear God's word. And we see that in verse 1 they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. This shows that Ezra wasn't reading the law to a people that needed reforming. They were a reformed people desiring to be more reformed by God's word. Ezra was meeting the desire that was already present uh, within them. God had done that kind of work. And, And even though this whole moment was planned, this wasn't like a spontaneous moment where they were like, hey, come read the Bible to us. It was planned. Uh, but they took time to articulate that these exiles, the people of God, the people of Israel were asking for God's word to be read and taught and they felt they needed to know and understand God's word to be able to interact and move forward uh, in their world. Just plain and simple, they desired the word of God. And then we go on to uh, hearing the word of God. In verse three, it says, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until mint day. That is a really long time. Uh, and the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Some of you maybe grew up in a service like this. Like you were just a part of a church circle or denomination where you went to church early, and it just ended when it ended. <laughs> and you weren't really sure when that was going to be. And as a kid, you were like, I hope it's going to be soon. Um, but uh, but you know, you just had this kind of uh church experience. Uh, this is a long time to listen to the Word of God. And this is kind of where we see that miraculous kind of desire. <laughs> like this is probably about six hours or so that they're just hearing and listening to uh, the Word of God. I Think of, about the many things that you or I could do for six hours, and there are many, and that we would enjoy every bit of those six hours. Like I think of I didn't mean I should have asked her about this, but I think of my wife making a Shutterfly album. I'm not sure there's an end to the amount of time where she could enjoy that. Just arranging, looking at pictures, um, and just get stuck in that hole and just gotta go in there and draw her out of it uh, eventually. But what what are those things that you can enjoy for a long period of time that you would be attentive to, that you would be engaged with? And and I'm gonna bet maybe for 100% of us, listening to the word of God would not be on that list. I mean, we may put it there now because we feel like we have to. Uh, but before this, if someone were just gonna ask you, uh, I would think, and that, and that shows this miraculous work that God is doing in their midst, that they were, they were there and they were listening um, and they were attentive. Uh, we, we hear that in uh, verse three, that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So again, it's not that this was just this is happening. They were going through this dry rote, experience. They longed for it, they desired for it, and they were attentive to it. Um, Again, as we think about what we're attentive to right now, even as we think about the things that call for our attention or beckon us to to go into some of those deep holes that we can just stay in. Sometimes it's political news and controversy. Sometimes it's just raw entertainment. Obviously, binging is just a new thing in our era. Um, And by new in our era, it's funny how when you read, uh, there's a couple books I've was, I was read recently. Um, and uh, one, it was actually C.S. Lewis and his friends, The Inklings. It was just a book about their friendships. And C.S. Lewis actually hated the daily paper. And the way he talked about the daily paper is the way we talk about Twitter. He's like, people are just driven to have a story. People are like, good journalism goes out the door because you, you have to have a story every day. And I was like, every day? I was like, man, Twitter makes us need to have a story every minute of every day. Um, And so it's kind of one of those, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, And I was even uh, reading a while back, um, uh, John Newton, some letters by him, and he was talking about how so often just like we're distracted by binging uh, whatever show that is you know, newest out that some people would still binge uh, just novels and books that had nothing to do with things of the Lord. And so there's always at any time in any culture in any generation, things that we can be Distracted by, but it's good for us to consider what is that? Um, And then, just again, not that we need to to dwell upon it for six hours. I mean, this is a moment that they're experiencing here that's miraculous and incredible, Uh, but where does the Word of God rank on our attentiveness meter? I'm not trying to draw some legalistic line or say we need to be this attentive, uh, but we should allow the Holy Spirit to convict and lead that we might desire God's word as he would have us desire God's word. Just like the exiles, we need to put ourselves in the position to hear God's word. So when we talk about hearing God's word in our day, it's literally, I mean, one of the logistic realities of this is literally just putting ourselves where we hear God's word, putting yourself here on Sunday, listening on Sunday, tuning in uh, online or being present and hearing God's word. Uh, do you take time to read God's word personally? Do you hear God's word uh, daily? Um, Are you in community group where you, where God's word is discussed? Um, Are you interested, even maybe reading, as I was talking about earlier, reading God's word uh, one-on-one with someone else? If you are, uh, reach out to me and I will do my best to connect you. Or, Or even this, are you with, with what you spend your time thinking and growing in, and is any of that devoted to growing in and understanding God's word? Even if you look at uh, Nehemiah 8, chapter, or verses 7 and 8, it says, um, also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aqab, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Messiah, I'm just going to skip the names. Uh, they all helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So there's this idea, there's this picture that Ezra's reading and, and probably at, at times explaining uh, as well as, as you might experience in a, in a normal sermon. But then there's other Levites going around and helping and helping understand and talking and dialoguing uh, about what, God, what God, God's word says. And so do you spend any of your time uh, any of the time that you do have, trying to learn and understand more about God's word? Do you need help finding resources that would be uh, helpful to you? Are you uh, interested in podcasts and books and um, uh, people that could be great resources for you as you look to seek to uh, understand God's word? Again, as we, one of the things we just simply are called to do is hear God's word. But here's step two of hearing God's word, and, and it's really the most important. It, it's what's most needed, um, in regards to hearing God's word, but it's what we have the most trouble doing. We're often comfortable, even some of the things I just said that are good, but we're often comfortable learning about God's word, maybe even becoming experts in Greek and Hebrew, maybe even becoming a pastor to teach other God's word, as long as God's word does not offend us personally or ask us to change anything about our life, especially the things we don't want to stop doing. The reality is we can't just hear the word, but we must hear it for ourselves personally. The the exile's attentiveness and their response, we will see in a moment, lets us know that they heard the word personally, that they heard the words that Ezra read, and they heard it for them. They heard it for their very lives uh, that they were living, and they let themselves be offended and corrected by the wisdom and truth found in the word of God. Some of you might be familiar with uh, recently, and there was a a pastor that got into a scandal. He was the pastor of uh, Hillsong Church in New York. Um, If you aren't familiar with this, it's a church with many celebrity uh, members like Justin Bieber, Kevin Durant, other celebrities. And I have no desire to highlight the pastor's sin and all of that. But in a recent article about the controversy surrounding this pastor, this author, who is a non-Christian, concludes with this statement, and it's so, so telling, he says this he says i'm not religious so it's not my place to dictate to christians what they should and should not believe still if someone has a faith worth following i feel like their beliefs i feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so if they share 90% of my lifestyle and values then there's nothing especially inspiring about them instead of making me want to become more like them it looks very much as if they want to be more like me. And so often, even in the realm of the church, uh, we, we don't want to be offended and corrected by the word of God. And obviously we live in this culture. There's many ways we should just look like this culture, but there are many ways we should not look like this culture. Um, and this non-Christian even he saying, he's like, man, this pastor, he did everything I did. Maybe there's a little smidge of something different, but I could tell no difference. It almost looked like he was trying to be more like the culture uh, than he was being convicted about what the Bible says. And here's the beautiful thing about the Bible, is that it's an equal opportunity offender. Like it offends every one of us. Like if you're upset, it offends you. It offends your neighbor just as much as you. And I, I truly mean that. Like none of us is offended more or less by the Bible. There's no generation from first to last. There is no ethnicity from minority to majority. There's no culture. There's no political platform. There is no person in the world that escapes the offense of God's word. The word offends us all by showing us our deeds are truly evil. Often our knee-jerk responses are incredibly selfish and that we all need more grace than we often realize. It's what the Word of God says about us. I think 2020, man, has been uh, full of so much struggle and suffering and many things just for me personally and for us as a church and for obviously the world. But I think even in 2020, where there's much that God's Word has to say to us, much comfort and encouragement um, and much much to say to us. But I think if we're going to experience 2020 and respond to 2020, in a uniquely Christian way, something we have to do is embrace the correction and rebuke of God's word. Um, This is an opportunity for Christians to embrace the offense of God's word on all of our life. If anything shows us our reluctance to do this, it's our response to COVID-19, like in in the precautions we feel like we should or should not take. Like this is just a great opportunity, again, for, for the Bible not to leave any of us out and Offend us all. If we're honest, we're often experts in why other people are wrong, and infants in how God's word might correct us. Um, We we can go all day long explaining what we or someone else should do, uh, but we might be a little short on conversation if we're talking about how we've been convicted about our own response through God's word. This is actually true of me this week. I was talking to Ginger about some of this and. She was challenging me on something, which, you know, obviously she shouldn't have been doing. Um, That was a joke, sorry. Um, But we were were talking through it, and we were taking some time to pray afterward. And for some reason, I felt led to go get the Bible and uh, just pull up the day's reading. Uh, I'd already done it, but I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to read a little something before I pray. Sometimes I like to do that. So I think she prayed, and while she was praying, I pulled up a verse um, and it was just the first verse I read before I was about to start to pray, and it's Proverbs 29.1. It says, he who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And I was like, really? This is, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I stiffened my neck to this verse. That was my knee-jerk reaction. I was like, ah, that was just random. I, didn't, I shouldn't have read that one. I should have skipped on down or something. Um, but the Spirit was doing a work in that moment through correction that I had heard, through a challenge, and then through the very word of God saying, man, even before those moments, I was, I was defensive. I was defending myself as opposed to hearing, as opposed to receiving correction and rebuke. And, and so I just prayed, God, help me. Uh, help me not to stiffen my neck. Uh, I need healing and I need your help. And I don't wanna be broken beyond healing. Um, and that's one of the things that God's word does. And, it, and again, it offends people all along the spectrum of response to COVID-19. Uh, but, but the thing that it does is it cuts to heal, uh, like that conviction that I experienced. It offends that I might be sharpened. Um, and I do want to dwell here for a minute, but I want to offer some caveats because um, I know this is just obviously a hot-button issue. I just want to say my desire in this moment is not to convince anyone to change their convictions, whatever they might be. Um, where we want to convince people to respond like we are, the Bible is more concerned with sanctifying us and our response. Where we want to convince people, the Bible wants to sanctify. Uh, and the Bible is always more concerned with our character than our rightness. And by rightness, I mean rightness about cultural issues, I don't mean rightness about the Word of God. Uh, the Bible is always after our character, the Bible is always calling us uh, to image. Uh, this Jesus that uh, we follow. I loved what uh, I saw a favorite pastor of mine, Ray Ortland, he said this, he said, Dear American Christians, Philippians 4-5 is still there on the page of our Bibles. Let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. Publicly obvious reasonableness, fair-mindedness and restraint declare to our nation how real and present God is. And then he says this, Calm calm is our prophetic edge. And and just in our response to COVID-19, again, as Christians, we fall along all the same places every non-Christian falls. But what should be different about us is how we engage one another, uh, how we care for one another, how we think of one another, how we even talk about it, how we even think about it internally. Because some of us know this enough that outwardly we're gonna try to be right, but inwardly we're fuming. And God's word says something about that says something to you in that moment. Um, Let's take a moment, even just as you think about where you're at, and to individually, and then collectively, obviously, uh, to open our eyes to any ways that we are uh, responding sinfully to others in this. Just a few questions just to consider as we think about this. Are we more frustrated with others than willing to see our own sinful responses? I think of Paul, how he talks about he was the chief of sinners. If he was going to see anything, and he, he rebuked a lot of people. But one thing that was always in line with that was how much he needed grace uh, from this Jesus. Another question, how might we be dismissive of others? There, there's nothing in the scriptures that allows us to s- dismiss or write off anyone. How might we be unwilling to bear others' burdens in this season? Is it just too hard that we don't even think about engaging what it looks like to bear one another's burdens? How consumed are we with convincing instead of trying to understand others? And I fall victim to this. How, how consumed are we with convincing others instead of just trying to understand and, and really have nothing to do with convincing, but just trying to know, man, we're all coming from places, whether it's hurt from this season or baggage or and it, whatever. We, we arrived. None of us have arrived to our places neutrally. And, and, and we would go a long way in getting to know our brothers and sisters if we just tried to understand as opposed to trying to convince. And I don't mean there's not a time for conversation about what's going on and uh, how we should or shouldn't respond, uh, but sometimes that's elevated above all these other things. Um, how, might, how might we be proclaiming our view of an incredibly complex cultural moment with the same fervor as the unchanging truth of God's word? How might we be proclaiming our view of an incredibly complex cultural moment with the same fervor as the unchanging truth of God's word? The truth is hindsight could prove any of us wrong. Wherever we're at, a little bit of hindsight could prove any one of us wrong. Hindsight will do nothing but confirm the unchanging truth of God's word. Um, And so we should match our fervor with that reality. And then finally, is there any way we have embraced isolation or convenience as opposed to the challenging work of being known and knowing others in this season? Just something to consider as you think about your response. Is there any part of you that's embraced isolation, embraced uh, kind of stepping away, embraced not being known by others and not knowing others? And I get that that's complex in this season, and that's harder, but but it's never something to be embraced. It's something to be mourned, really. Uh, even if, we have, if we're stuck there, it's something to be grieved. It's something to struggle with. It's something to, to hope and pray and consider how we can uh, move forward and, and, and do that. Uh, but, it, but it's not something uh, to be embraced. I just thought, I was thinking about the gospel according to COVID-19 responses. Like If our response to COVID-19, if we were saved by that, this is what I thought that you will be saved if you think and respond perfectly to this issue. You will be saved if you have all the right data and science to back up everything you believe in, and if you, should, and if you can, you should convince others or shame anyone else that disagrees with you. Even if you don't out loud, you must inwardly look down on people that land in a different place than you do. The truth about everything can be known perfectly and immediately by anyone not too afraid or ignorant to see it. Do this and you will receive the righteousness due all of your hard work and research and you will be justified before anyone that matters. That's, that's where responding perfectly to COVID-19 will get us. Responding perfectly to COVID-19, you even, just even embrace that, is a ruthless master one that will never have enough. And then if other people's sinful responses in the midst of all of this are more blaring than yours, then we might be finding more encouragement from our flesh than the word of God, the word that leaves all of us naked and exposed before a holy God. And he is the only one that can can save. And so in light of all that, I would encourage you, be convinced in your own mind. I don't wanna, again, I'm not trying to, encourage any of us to to land somewhere differently. Be convinced in your own mind, but value what God values, the unity of the church, bearing one another's burdens, praying for our enemies, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, loving God and loving others. And this is not gonna come from continuing to consume everything that's out there to be consumed. This is gonna come from hearing the word and letting it offend and correct every aspect of our life, um, even how we're responding to all of this. Okay, so we desire God's word. Then we hear God's word. We just literally hear it. Hear the preaching of his word, hear the Bible read, and then we hear it for ourselves. And then finally, we respond to the word. Look in Nehemiah 8, verses 9 through 12. It says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, "Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved." And all says, "Stop crying." And says, "I don't like that picture." And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And isn't this kind of counterintuitive, like especially if you've learned about repentance and thought about responding to God's word and repenting, it's like, man, we need to be grieved. And then we get to rejoice, which isn't a horribly wrong way to think about it. But here in this picture, it just shows how, you know, there's not always this linear view of of repentance and how we're responding uh, to God. They're like, no, hey, there's going to be a time for that. But right now we need to feast. (laughs) Right now we need to drink, good drink and eat good food. And we need to celebrate. And if anybody doesn't have any, let's get together and let's make sure they have all that they need so that we can all celebrate that this word has come to us. Um, And what what the the word of God is doing here, what Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites are doing is saying, man, even the rebuke of God's word, like I said, even the offense of God's word, it always comes uh, just incredibly covered in the graciousness of our God. That that there's no offense that doesn't come full force with the grace and mercy and compassion of our God towards us. To be honest with you, sometimes we even, kind of want to hear the offense or want to hear the rebuke separate of his grace so we can just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of hang out there for some reason or another. But God's word is always telling us about his grace and kindness towards us, even as uh, it rebukes us. They wanted it to be known that the primary message of grace uh, for their sin was to be celebrated, that it was God's kindness is one of the things that leads uh, to any kind of repentance, as we see in Romans 2. Paul says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? He's talking about uh, uh, incredible hypocrisy. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you To repentance. So again, no hard word from God about anything in your life comes to you outside of the context of an abundance of grace that is available to you. That that if anything I've said or anything the Bible ever convicts you uh, about, it comes in the context of an abundance of God's grace. To the non Christian, it's an invitation to stop striving. Uh, I love what, uh, I think I've told you, I'm reading this book called Communion with God by John Owen. And he says this about non-Christians striving and this kind of idea. He says, people convicted of their sin who do not know Christ nor the fellowship of his sufferings would create holiness out of their own depths. They would work it out in their own strength. They start with difficult strivings and then follow with vows and duties and resolutions and commitments, sweating at it all day long. They continue this way for a season until their hypocrisy ends, for the most part, in apostasy. So so what he's saying is they find their striving doesn't work, and they leave Christianity all the while never turning to the grace that was there all along. They're like, I'm going to do better. It's going to be better. I'm going to try harder. And they keep trying that, and they finally get to the end of that, and they think, I just couldn't do it. All the while, they miss the very message of Christianity to them. Which is that, of course you couldn't do it. That's why Jesus did it for you. That's the invitation to non-Christians. And the invitation to Christians is simply to believe what is said about you. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you still sin, but Jesus was pleased to take the condemnation that all of your sin deserves. And so brothers and sisters, if God's kindness leads to repentance, let's be pleased to do that very, that very thing. Let's be pleased to, to walk in this kind of repentance. We, we see the exiles respond with a prayer. It's a, again like the longest prayer uh, in the Bible. And, and basically, I'm just going to summarize it. It's a prayer of repentance that shows God's long, incredible patience. are we glad that God's patient? He's continually calling his people back through the prophets and through the judges. And then when we see repentance and we see deliverance, but it all eventually continues to end in judgment. And before we look down on them and think, man, why didn't they figure it out? Let's listen to, again, Paul's words to us. In Galatians 4.3, he says this, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We're no different than them. But when the fullness of time had come, this is Advent right here, Galatians But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, but not just to receive gifts as we celebrate in this season, but this is why he came, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He came to be like us that we might be adopted into his family. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That 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 is what Advent is all about. That Jesus came to be born of a woman, that we might be adopted into the family of God. So, although we are no different than God's people in the Old Testament, our repentance is uh, quite different uh, because of this reality, because of this Jesus, because we live on this side of the life, death, and resurrection uh, of Jesus. So as we close, I actually just, similar to Ezra, I just want to lead us in uh, a prayer of repentance. And so I'm going to uh, use uh, some words by John Owen if it sounds a little old, uh, and I'm going to read and lead us in some prayers. And then I'm just going to give you some time, even as kids are getting sorted, and if you're at home and kids are running around, uh, I'm just going to leave you some time to make some of these prayers your own as the, the Holy Spirit's moved and convicted or rebuked or offended, or you're wrestling with any of that. Uh, just give you some time to, to work through that uh, on um, your own that we might dislike uh, in this passage. We see them repent both corporately uh, and uh, individually. So, Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, let's enter into just a time of considering and thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done, and just engaging in repentance. And so... As we just begin by acknowledging that you have been sent by the Father to undergo the punishment for every sin that can be seen in our lives. Sin in our past, sin we committed today in our present, and sin that we have even yet to commit. And you have answered God's call of justice for them, that we might not endure our just separation from you in hell. Jesus, may, may this gracious reality inform our repentance. Take a moment just to silently let go of any objection that Jesus has dealt completely with your sin. as you realize he is a sufficient payment for your sin, uh, let's hear Jesus call to us. Hear these words from your Savior, church. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. Come with your burdens. Come with your poor soul, with your guilt of sin. This Jesus, he's made an agreement with the Father that we should come and And take our sins and and he will bear them away. That they are his. And we will give him our burden. Of all and every one of our sins. We do not know what to do with them, but he knows how to dispose of them well enough. That God should be glorified and that our souls should be saved. Take a moment just to look to Jesus and answer this call to come to him. now, church, lay down your sins at the cross of Christ upon his shoulders. This is our faith's great and bold venture upon the grace, faithfulness, and truth of God to stand by the cross and say, he is bruised for my sins and wounded for my transgressions. And the chastisement of my peace is upon him. He has thus made sin for me. Here I give up my sins to him that is able to bear them and to under Go then, take a moment to pray to yourself and confess your sins and lay them down at the cross. Brothers and sisters, now receive from Jesus the righteousness he earned for you. Receiving forgiveness of sins is incredible, but leaves us a long way from God. Jesus fulfilled 2 Corinthians 5.21 and was made sin for you that you might be the righteousness of God. Receive this righteousness. Anger, curse, wrath, death, sin as to its guilt. He took it all and he takes it all away and with him We leave whatever of his nature belongs to us. And from him, we receive, we give him all of those things and we receive love, life, righteousness, and peace. This is grace upon grace. Take a moment to thank Jesus for giving you his righteousness.